Hi, I'm Alexis. Hi, Alexis. Um, my story starts when my father left me to go with, a, with my four half-brothers and not me. At least that's what I thought. It's always been just me and my mom, but there were a few times in my life where it wasn't like that. My mom got married in 2008 to a man named Scott. I called him Dad. My mom, got, my mom met him in 2004, and shortly after that, he came into my life. We had many great times and some bad. I remember when my mom and him would scream and yell at each other and then say they wanted a divorce. It seemed like it happened a lot. One day, my mom and I were out doing something, and when we got home and Dad didn't know where we had been, he was really mad. It seemed like he was really mad about something else, too, that I have yet to know what that was. He wouldn't stop yelling and got aggressive with Mom. I yelled at both of them to stop, but they refused. Dad was putting all of his things in the car, and my mom told me to walk to my grandmother's house, just a block, just a few blocks down the road. And then she told me that everything was going to be okay. I remember walking down the road and stopping to look at, look at them on the top of the hill. I couldn't stop crying. My grandma met me halfway, and I walked the rest of the way with her. He left just like that, and I never saw him again. It has been seven years since I've seen him. Um, when I was six, my mom and her best friend, Nikki, would drink a lot. Nikki had a son around my name, around my age, and his name was Bane. He was my best friend for years. We were, all to, we were together all the time because our moms were drunk together almost every night, especially on the weekends. Bane and I would be inside playing tractors or shooting each other with Nerf guns while our parents were outside in the garage getting drunk. Bane and I thought this wasn't bad, this wasn't so bad because we got to see each other all the time, about almost 24-7. It was, it was bad when 2 a.m. came around and we were all tired of watching movies over and over again. We just wanted our moms to come tuck us in and give us goodnight kisses. I felt sad because they almost never did that, and if they did, I could always, I could always tell that they were drunk and I could remember smelling the alcohol. It made me feel forgotten and lonely. Along with bad stuff also came some good stuff, too. I remember going to St. Louis Zoo and seeing all the animals and how fun it was. And then I remember going to Wisconsin Dells and staying for a whole weekend. That was fun. After my mom and Scott got divorced, she and Nikki didn't hang out very much anymore. This, they slowly drifted apart. I haven't seen or talked to Nikki or Bane in a while. I see Bane at school, but we usually never talk much. When I was growing up, I didn't always know what or what was why or what was going on in my life. Things at home usually were very chaotic. When I was young, my mom and I lived with my grandma and grandpa. When I was five, my mom and grandpa built a house for me and my mom to live in, about two blocks from where my grandparents lived. When my mom was drinking and using drugs, I didn't have many rules at my house. I had to do most things on my own. I learned to depend on myself. When my mom wouldn't get up to take me to school, I would get up and walk myself to school. Sometimes it would be raining, and I would cry myself to, to school on the way to school. The kids would ask why I was crying, and I would refuse to tell them. My mom has a friend that she has known since high school, and they've been really close. His name is Corey. They have been good friends for many years, and I have known him all my life. 
I never met my real father, and I love Corey like I think I would love my father. He spends a lot of time with me, and everyone in my family likes him, and his mom is really close with our family, too. We do a lot of things together, like fishing, camping, horseback riding, and hiking. He tells me, a lot of, he tells me all the time that if I ever need anything, I can come to him. About a year ago, he had to go to jail. He won't, he won't come home for another six months. I really love him and miss him a lot. Before Alatine, I worried about him all the time. Now I've learned that I can't change any of Corey's mistakes, and I can't help him. I'm learning to detach from him, but I still struggle with that a lot. I remind myself to let go and let God and take it one day at a time. By doing this, I don't, I don't get ahead of myself and get worried and upset. Corey and I write each other letters, and I've been to see him once. I miss him and can't wait until he comes home. In 2015, I was in a tornado that hit my hometown. I was home alone when it hit. My mom and Corey left about 9.30 to go get food. It was raining when they left. I was on the couch with my dog, Mud, and the weather was getting worse and worse, and I was scared. I called my mom, my mom's phone, and she didn't answer, so I called Corey. I told him, I told him that the storm was really bad, and I was scared, and they needed to come home. He had told me that everything was going to be okay, and that it wasn't bad, and he hung up. About 15 minutes later after the call, I thought I heard hail hitting the house. It was actually debris hitting the house from the tornado. I was very loud. It was very loud, and I was really scared. Then I heard a train noise. I wasn't sure what that noise was, and I got up and, and took mud to my mom's room around the corner from where we were sitting. I didn't know what to do. We only made it halfway and sat in the corner, crouched down. I prayed, and I asked God to please help me. I asked him if I was going to live or not. The tornado lasted about 30 seconds. I waited a little bit after the noises stopped, and I got up and looked around the house. Things had fallen over. I opened my door to my bedroom, and all I could see was glass. My window was shattered. I went outside where my garage had been, and my neighbor's house was there. All you could see was debris scattered everywhere. I couldn't stop crying. My neighbor came over to check on us, to check on me, and he asked where my mom was. I said she was gone. I told him I was fine, and he turned to go check on the other neighbors. As he walked away, I saw a huge gash on the back of his leg, and I asked him if he was okay. He didn't even realize he was hurt. My grandpa showed up right after that. He had walked over from his house and asked if I was okay. He walked back to his, we walked back to his house. I saw two-by-fours launched in the ground, and power lines were down. We had to walk through a field right across my house to get home. As soon as, he got to my, as soon as we got to my grandparents' house, he left again to go help. A few hours passed by, and my mom got home. She told us that her car had ran out of gas, and she couldn't get home. I was just so happy to see her. I didn't get much sleep that night, and we were all awake when the sun came up. We walked down to our house, and there were debris everywhere. Our house was one of the two... One of two that were one out of two that were standing out of about ten. We got up on the roof to look and I started crying. You could see the path of the tornado and our house was right in the middle of it. The houses on both sides of ours were gone, but ours was still there. That is when I realized that God was there with me in mud. 
He was listening to my prayers, and he protected me. I stayed up on the roof for a little bit longer, and I thanked him. I thanked him because I was so happy to be alive. It was a long year of cleaning up, and we were just now finishing building our new garage. Today, I'm thankful to be here, and I know I have God to thank for that. When I was 13, there was a crisis with my mom, and she entered treatment. She was in the hospital for a week before being able to move to New Leaf for more treatment. I was very confused about why my mom had to go to treatment. She didn't tell me why she entered, and didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. I had to live with my grandparents, and I wanted to live with my mom. My grandparents were very, very upset with my mom. I felt like I was stuck in the middle. I love my mom and my grandparents, and I don't like it when they argue and say things about each other to me. I really miss my mom during this time. I could only talk to her once a week on the computer. This is really hard because my mom and I talk all the time, and we were really close. My grandparents took me to see her twice while she was in treatment, but when we visited, we had a limited time, and it was never enough time. At the time my mom was in treatment, my grandpa recommended Alateen. I told him I would go and see what it was like. He said I didn't have to go back if I didn't like it. It was in the fall when I started coming, and after a few meetings, I came to a gratitude meeting about around Thanksgiving. It is an open meeting where a few members of their tell their stories. One of the teens told her story that night. I could really relate to a lot of things that she said. I felt like if I kept coming to meetings, I could find the help that I really needed. That was two years ago. I love coming to Alateen because I feel like I can talk about anything I am struggling with and anything that is on my mind. I like the sponsors and the other Alateens. I like the Alateen literature because it helps me to understand the disease and what is happening in my family. There are other people there that are going through the same things I am. Before Alateen, I thought it was my responsibility to make my grandparents and my mom stop arguing. Now I've learned that I can just walk away. I, can control, I can't control anything about another person. I can let go of that person and just love them. There's a reading in Courage to Change that really relates to a lot of stuff that I've been going through in that time. So this is from Courage to Change on February 1st. I thought that if I stopped enabling the alcoholic in my life, the drinking would stop. When the drinking seemed to get worse instead of better, once again I thought I had done something wrong. I was still trying to control alcoholism and its symptoms. Alanon helped me. Alateen helped me to learn that I am powerless. I cannot stop an alcoholic from drinking. If I choose to stop contributing to the problem, I do so because it seems to be the right thing to do. Something that, I, that will help me to feel better about myself. When I, can, when I change my behavior, the behavior of the, cho, the cho, choice around me may always change. But there is no guarantee it will change to my liking. Today I'm learning to make choices because they are good for me, not because of the effect that they might have on others. Today's reminder, it is hard to stop acting as I have in the past, but with Alateen's support, I can be the one who to break that pattern. I can choose to do what I think is right for me. Coming to Alateen, I've made many great friends. One of them suggested Miracle Camp to me. Miracle Camp is a camp in Michigan for all ages where a person can attend a retreat for a week. The retreat, for all, the retreat I attended was for high school age kids. 
I met so many great friends and have kept in contact with many of them. I did so many fun things like swimming, paintballing, and hiking. I made many great memories. While at camp, we went to chapel three times a day for a week. In those meetings, we talked a lot about our higher power. The week I spent at Miracle Camp was such a positive and wonderful experience for me. I felt so much different when I got home. I felt like my problems were not as big as when I got home, and I felt a lot better about myself. After camp, I, re after camp, I realized how much my higher power, who I call God, has helped me in my life. Realizing this, I wanted to be baptized, and I was, and it was a great experience. I was baptized at Northwoods Community Church in, Pe in Peoria, Illinois, in a lake with all my family watching. There were a lot of other people baptized that day too, and a lot of other people watching them as well. It was a life-changing experience, not only going to Miracle Camp, but being baptized too. These are two of the greatest things that have happened in my life. Both of these things would probably not have happened without Alateen. My grandparents and I go to church almost every Saturday now, and I can't wait to go to Miracle Camp again next year. All of those all of these experiences have helped me understand what my Alateen program is about. I cannot control anyone besides myself. I have choices. I can walk away from arguments and people that make me uncomfortable. I have learned to let go and let God and to take it one day at a time. Things in my life are a lot better now than they used to be. They still aren't perfect, but neither am I. I have one more reading I would like to share to all of you. It is special to me because it happens to fall on the same day as my birthday. November 7th. This is from Hope for Today, November 7th. I had a habit of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. After discussing this matter with a friend, I was given an exercise to practice. When someone says something to me and I have, to, and I have a strong reaction, wanting to cry, wanting to rage, or thinking I am inferior, I stop and visualize two doors. One is marked, same old, same old, or my will, and the other is marked, new and different, or God's will. On seeing these two doors, I imagine opening mine and viewing what I would normally say or do in the situation. Then I close my door and open God's. By the time I have done all this, I've given myself several moments between the individual comment and my impulsive reaction. This gives me time to practice the slogan, think and to choose a healthier response. I've not had a single regret-filled incident since I filled, began to practice this self-restraint. Ironically, most times, what's behind God's door is absolutely nothing. What a message. Could this possibly mean that other people's behavior belongs to them and I don't have to make it mine by reacting to it? Think, thought for the day. Practicing detachment before I react before I react, allows me to maintain self-esteem by choosing my response. Thank you for listening to my speech.
Wow, there's a lot of people. Hi, I'm Jane. I'm a grateful Alateen sponsor and Al-Anon member, and sometimes I go to the dark side. So, um, of course, she lets me come up and introduce our next speaker after I'm all choked up from the first one. Oh, kids, I love them. Don't you love <laughs> Oh. Oh. So, um, I have been blessed to be an Alateen sponsor, which means that myself and some of the other uh, sponsors here, we share responsibility of sitting in the rooms when the Alateens have their meetings. And it is a wonderful opportunity to grow in your own program. If you've never had the opportunity, I suggest that you give it a shot. Um, our next speaker, uh, I can't even look at these people over here. <laughs> Our next speaker is Nicole, and I met her several years ago when she was still probably, I don't know what, 13 or 14 years old. And oh, to see the beautiful person that she is becoming is just um, a gift. <laughs> don't. I don't know. It's all Alexis's fault. Okay, so. Anyway, I'm so proud and so pleased to know you, and I am so proud to be up here introducing her, Nicole. Nicole, and I'm a grateful member of Alateen. Um, this morning, my mom and I, for some reason, got up way too early to come here. So we decided to go to Starbucks in Target. Um, and after we went to Starbucks, we were walking through like the little clearance section in Target where you can only spend like $5 and get a whole bunch of stuff you don't need. And I found a placemat that I came across, and on the front of it, it said grateful. And I was like, you know, what am I grateful for? And the more and more I thought about it, and I was like, I'm really grateful for the alcoholic in my life. Because if I didn't have the alcoholic in my life, I wouldn't be here this weekend. Unless I was at the wedding next door, but <laughs> doubt that. Um, before I came into this program long time, well, not really a long time ago compared to other people, but um, I guess I just kind of assumed that the alcoholic was the old guy with all the beer bottles all over his house and... You know, you could see, just walking down the road, that guy is an alcoholic. Never had I seen one before, but um, I never would have thought that my dad is an alcoholic. Um, I don't really know why, because he did drink a lot, and he took the pills, and he passed out on the couch, but I figured all dads did that, because that's just what dads do. And... Um, when my mom pulled my sister and I aside and said that my dad was going to rehab, I was confused on what the big deal was because physical therapy is usually only a couple weeks and I'm sure he'd be done soon, so, oh well. But then I started to realize that this actually wasn't physical therapy, that he was going to a substance abuse rehab center. And I was really confused. I was like, there's no way my dad's an alcoholic. He doesn't have a bunch of beer bottles everywhere. Like. He has a job, he's smart, he isn't drunk all the time, we have supper together, we're a family, and our family's not broken. Um, for the longest time, our family was kind of the ideal family to have. I had 
two parents that loved each other. It was my sister and I. We all worked together, um, had a beautiful house. Um, and you just never expect it when it comes to see that you have an alcoholic in your life, I guess. Uh, so my dad went to detox that week. He was actually, I believe he was already in detox by the time my mom had told me that uh, he was going to rehab. And I remember driving to White Oaks with my mom and seeing him through a little window and looking up at him and thinking, what the heck is going on? Why are you in there? Why am I out here? Why can't I talk to you? And he was bringing his friends over and you could see him, read his lips, and he's like, that's my family, those are my kids, that's my wife. And I just stood there like, now what? So he finishes detox. I think all is well, he's cured, life is great. This is never going to happen again. Well, I was wrong, <laughs> way wrong. Um, after probably a couple months, my sister and I got off the bus at school, which we weren't a fan of the bus, so we weren't very thrilled about being on it. But then we saw my dad's truck in the driveway. So, of course, dad was home early from work. Who knows why? But we ran up the road and saw him and talked to him. You could tell that something was a little different. Not really sure what. Uh, his eyes were kind of glazed over. He just wasn't really making a lot of sense. And um, so he took off pretty quickly. And her and I went in the house. And I went upstairs to get started on my homework because I'm the good kid. And she stayed downstairs and went in my parents' room. And I don't know why because the only really reason we went in there was to look for Christmas presents. Um, didn't find any because it was the summer. But And then I could hear her kind of start hollering my name a couple times and I'm like oh man now what she stub her toe she bump her head like here we go and walk downstairs go in my parents closet and she's sitting on the floor crying and I'm like we're obviously not gonna have Christmas presents it's June it's not time yet and I kind of go in the closet more and I look over and all of my dad's stuff was gone it came to my realization that my dad didn't realize that we would be home from school then because he was a little messed up and he was leaving us right then. So we just kind of sat there and didn't really get it, called my mom, we were confused, I don't understand, is he going on vacation, is he going back to treatment? I thought this was over, I thought he was cured, I thought this was the end and well, it was definitely the start of a pretty long journey ahead of us. Um, let's see. I remember after my dad went to rehab for the first time, my aunt mentioned something to my mom about Al-Anon meetings. I didn't know what that, that was. And I remember standing in our computer room and looking over my mom's shoulder at this AFG.org crap and just thinking, like, there's nothing wrong with our family. Like, we're the poster family. There's nothing wrong with us. I'm not going to some meeting where someone's going to tell me my dad's an alcoholic. He's just doing his own thing. Like, he's not sick. I don't know why he's leaving, but he's definitely not sick. Not my dad, not my role model, not my dad. Um, and I knew I didn't need anyone's help. Yeah, right. But I just, in my head, I knew that everyone goes through hardships. I wasn't going to need anyone's help. We would be able to get through it as a family and we could fix it. And that would be the end and life would go on and we'd continue to be a little happy family. Um, not soon after, in April 2012, when my dad was still separated from our family, uh, I got a phone call, well, my sister got a phone call from a family friend of ours that was in Mexico, uh, very confused. I don't know why he was calling us from Mexico at the time. I didn't know if he was bringing us gifts or what, but I was pretty excited. And he called to tell us that we needed to go to Proctor Hospital, the emergency room, 
that Josh, my best friend from elementary school, had overdosed on heroin. And I was either 15 or 16. Um, I mean, it was just one of those things where you just have no idea that that person is using, and it's just something that just hits you from nowhere. So decided to drive down there after sitting there for a minute, realizing what the heck is going on. And my mom's never gotten a speeding ticket, but if she would have gotten a speeding ticket, it would have been that day. Um, and I remember just sitting on the hospital floor thinking, what the heck is going on? Like, where is all this chaos coming from? And then my dad came in, and we were all just so confused and heartbroken. And I remember sitting there like, when is he going to come out? When am I going to be able to see him again? Like, I'm just ready for him to come out and say, what's up? What's going on? What are you guys crying for? I'm right here. And he never did. Unfortunately, um, it was his time to leave this earth at 16 years old. Um, and he's made such an impact on the community. But in my head, I was so selfish, and I just couldn't stop thinking that's not fair. No parent's supposed to bury their kid. Not my best friend. This doesn't happen to people like our family. This isn't how it works. And I just kept sitting there thinking, what the heck is going on? Our family's falling apart. My life is falling apart. I don't know why I don't have control of anything, because I'm a control freak, and I'm supposed to control everything. But everyone just kept asking me how I was, and I'm just, I'm fine. I guess I'm fine. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm fine. Um, sorry, I'm like getting choked up up here. Oh, man. So for the next couple of months, my dad continued kind of coming in and out of our lives, um, just kind of whenever he decided that that was fit. Uh, he was hanging out with a kid that I went to high school with that he met through NA meetings instead of AA. Um, and we all went to lunch one day for some reason, and uh, he almost crashed his Jeep three times on the way to lunch and then fell asleep in his food. And then I found out after that that he had taken too many pills, that he had overdosed. Um, and it was just one of those things like, what the heck is happening? I don't get it. But, I mean, after that, I just was content with being fine at that point, And I was just going to figure out how to deal with it. Um, not soon after that, my mom, my sister, and I ended up moving into an apartment in October, just the three of us. And... We figured we could do it on our own. My mom is an amazing, strong, independent woman, and we got this, and we'll figure it out. But um, my junior year of high school rolled around, and I got a phone call from my dad that I hadn't talked to for a while, and he said he was going back to treatment in Florida at supposedly one of the best treatment centers, but it wasn't a 12-step program. And I was like, well, hmm, how are you going to get sober without a 12-step program? So I guess he went to Florida, and my grandma, my dad's mom and I, and my sister went down there and for a family day, and they requested we write a letter, and I told them the ropes, you know, like, what if you're not there to meet my kids? What if you're not there to walk me down the aisle? And looking back on it now, I wish I would have never written that letter, because once he came home, within three days, he had relapsed again. And all I could think about was, I'm not enough. The things I told him weren't enough. The things our family told him isn't enough. I'm just not enough. And at that point, I realized that my dad is not going to get sober for me. And that's not how it's ever going to work. He's not going to get sober for our family, for anybody else but himself. And I, I'm not sure if I quite accepted it, but I understood it. And that's just how it was going to be. Um, after that, he never really understood why I kind of stopped talking to him. That was my way of detaching, unlovingly detaching. But it was what was working for me for then. Uh, he kind of started to try to get back in contact with me and 
he had that manipulation factor, and I ended up moving back in with him because it was more fun. I didn't have rules. I didn't have a curfew. He didn't nag on me if I didn't do my chores or didn't do my homework. And not soon after that, I got into a little car accident in March, March 13th, and I crashed my car into a pole, and the guy that stopped to help me told me, I don't know how you didn't flip your car. I don't understand it. You really stuck right in there. Um, it was in the middle of March, so it was cold, and there's snow everywhere, and he just kept telling me, I don't understand. And at that point, I knew, I kind of accepted the fact that there was someone watching over me, and that was there for me, and that in my heart, I felt like that was Josh watching over me. So I go to the hospital. I have an awful concussion. I feel like I fell down a flight of stairs, and I'm looking around kind of delirious, and I'm like, where the heck is my mom? Like, my mom's bailing on me now? Well, little did I realize that no one called my mom. Obviously, my dad didn't want my mom there because they weren't on the best of terms, and I kind of slipped the note to my sister, like, hey, call my mom, and that's when I kind of started realizing, like, this is, there's something wrong with my dad, and I'm not sure what it is, but something's going to have to change because it's making me sick, and it's making my family sick. And that's when I really started to realize that this is a family disease, and it's affecting our whole family, not just him. Uh, let's see here. Um, I really did enjoy living with my dad. He was never home, so I felt like I was an independent person at 17. I wasn't really doing a whole lot, but I was working two jobs, and I was in high school. And looking back on it now, it was really a blessing in disguise, no matter how hard it was, because I really learned how to be independent and take care of myself, and I figured that's where I get my maturity from. Um, but during that time, that was when my parents decided to get a divorce, and my custody case came around at 17, and I was convinced I was going to live with my dad, and the judge would see how amazing my dad is, and how he just let me do whatever I want, how great of a life I'm going to have, and well, no. I mean, she knew it better than I did. I had to stay with my mom half the week, and my dad the second half, and it was, unless it was like the first week of the month with a whole week, and I stayed with my mom like Friday, Saturday, my dad Sunday, my mom Monday through Thursday. It was the weirdest thing. Don't know why they ever did it to me. Um, and I used to always think that my mom was that nagging voice of reason. She was the one who knew what was going on. She was the one that was still in the program. I wasn't. He wasn't. And it was just a disaster. Um, my senior year, my dad decided to move to Kickapoo, and I moved into an in-law's quarters. So I had my own kitchen and bathroom and had the whole hookup at 17. I still don't understand that either because I was 17. I don't need a kitchen. I don't how I cook his pizza rolls. Um, and that's when I really started to realize, like, there is really something going on here. But I was terrified. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to push him over the edge. I kept All I kept thinking about is, what if he overdoses and I lose him just like I lost Josh? And I can't stand to go through something like that again. I don't know how my family would function without my dad. And um, One night I made the mistake of not checking in, and he was drunk and he was high and he decided to tell me I needed to get all my stuff out in 24 hours and figure it out for myself and at 18 and working two jobs I bought a lot of crap I didn't need so I tried to shove it all up in my car and thank god my mom welcomed me back with open arms or else I really wouldn't have had a place to go and that's when I started going to meetings again uh, after a long time I finally started to get it it wasn't my dad that was trying to hurt us, but it was more so of me. I needed to help myself and nobody else. And that was my biggest problem, is I felt like I could fix everyone else, but I wasn't focusing on fixing myself. 
Um, after like one of my first or second meetings, there was a girl I was going to meetings with that read me the pigeon story. I don't, oh yeah, I guess you guys have heard that one. Um, and it really changes your thought on the alcoholism thing, especially with me. I was only like, probably like 17-ish, so I was still pretty young. I mean, I still am pretty young, but it is the reading for March 14th, which is the day after I crashed my car. So it seemed pretty fitting. And it says, One day a man sat down under a tree, not noticing it was full of pigeons. Shortly, the pigeons did what pigeons do best. The man shouted at the pigeons as he stormed away, resenting the pigeons as well as the offending material. But then he realized that pigeons, the pigeons were merely doing what pigeons do, just because they're pigeons, not because he was there. The man learned to check for, tree, for pigeons in the trees before sitting down. Active alcoholics are people who drink. They don't drink because of you or me, but because they are alcoholics. No matter what I do, I will not change this fact, not with guilt, shouting, begging, distracting, hiding money or bottles or keys, lying, threatening, or reasoning. I didn't cause alcoholism. I can't control it, and I can't cure it. I can continue to struggle and lose, or I can accept the fact that I am powerless over alcohol and alcoholism and let Al-Anon or Alateen help me to redirect the energy I've spent on fighting this disease into recovering from its effects. I finally realized that my happiness isn't based on the alcoholics in my life. He doesn't have to get sober for me to find happiness in my life. When people used to ask me how I was doing it, how I was functioning with my dad being an alcoholic, I always used to respond with me being fine. Spelled F-I-N-E stands for frantic, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. I'm not just fine anymore. I couldn't be more grateful for the alcoholic in my life. I couldn't be in a room full of people knowing just how I feel six years ago, but I am here today. Um, they know why the alcoholic in my life doesn't just quit drinking, that I'm not as crazy as people might say I might be. Without these meetings, I know I would still be telling people I'm fine instead of telling people that I'm grateful. I've conquered things that I never would have imagined that I would able to be do, that I would able to do without the help of Alateen and Al-Anon. Now I'm halfway through my third year of college at Western Illinois University, paying my tuition by myself, studying social work. I work a part-time job. I just adopted the cutest blue healer puppy. Um, and I have the best support system I could ever hope for. My mom is a woman of substance, character, and influence. And I also would not be standing up here if she hadn't convinced me to go to that first meeting where I was pretty much kicking and screaming the whole way there because I didn't need anyone to help me. But now I realize that we all kind of need help sometimes. Um, I can't begin to explain how grateful I am for women in the program, women and men that have helped me both. Mary S. has helped me set up a meeting in Macomb with a wonderful woman who is now my sponsor. I'm able to hold program over there so I don't go a little crazy because we all know how it gets if you miss a couple meetings. I found serenity in listening to people's experiences and helped me grow as a person. Their strength helps me realize that I'm strong, but I don't have to be strong every single day. There's nothing wrong with letting out some tears. And most of all, hope. Hope to know that I can take my life one day at a time. I can keep it simple. And I know if I ever need a little help, I have someone there for me. I don't need to settle for being fine. And for that, I am grateful. Thanks. <laughs>